I found that I thought was really awesome. I'd like for us to do that in honor of Father's Day uh, today. Also, um, we had a celebrated a 40th wedding anniversary last night for Don and Kathy Baker, a uh, surprise ver- uh, uh, anniversary party for them. And uh, I've got to tell you, uh, Marty Peters, uh, who's been attending our church several weeks and months, uh, Marty smoked the meat. If you need somebody to cook a meal for you that's barbecue and baked beans and the stuff, that's the guy. Marty, stand up because they need to see who you are. Right there. I'm going to go on record saying it's the best barbecue I've ever eaten. How's that? And he, he said he'd pay me later for saying that, so that's awesome. Boy, I'm telling you, it was good. Makes his own uh, sauce, and uh, boy, it got lapped up pretty good last night, so praise the Lord. And I got to tell you, I thought, I thought Brother Don, he's pretty cool and calm most of the time. But they cut the cake, and he gave some goofy speech about, you know, all this. And then they kissed each other. That, it wasn't just a kiss. The icing melted off the cake. Well, I noticed, I noticed uh, Sister Kathy, she was a little more passionate, and Don was trying to push her away. He just, he just, it was, he was getting embarrassed, I could tell. But he did, like most good husbands, he caved in. And uh, my, that was, uh, I think Angie said she had never seen her parents kiss like that. <laughs> and I know why. So, praise the Lord. But uh, congratulations, 40 years, and uh, pray for 40 more for you, and uh, hallelujah. Many in our church have been married 40-plus years, and we're just proud of you all and uh, that you've hung in there. Okay, everybody got at least an eye shot of one of these pieces of paper? Where it says congregation, where it says all, obviously we read it out loud, where it says pastor, I'll take that one, Okay. We stand this morning honoring fathers committed to Christ. Congregation. All people. Just fathers. Congregation. We covet to pray for fathers today. Fathers. Congregation. Fathers. Grandfathers, fathers, some chase after riches, some chase after pleasures, some chase after painkillers. We pursue God and God. May these men have a burning desire that drives them to your throne, leading us, caring for us, and cherishing us. Drunkenness, infidelity, pornography, abuse, and rage. Amen and amen. Sent them apart. These men dwell in our midst as the very nature and righteousness of Christ, crucified in Christ, one in Christ, 
with the mind of Christ. Give them discernment. And everybody, in the holy name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right. Dads, we love you. You are a critical part in the development of your families and especially of your children. And fathers, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, at some time in your life, pass a blessing on to your children. One-on-one, on, one, on one, one at a time, pass that blessing on to them. Grandfathers, if there's not a father in the home, pass that blessing on to your grandchildren. God established the fathers for a reason. And you have a spiritual responsibility to lead your children and lead your families. May God bless you as you continue to do that. If you have your Bibles, let's hold those up. We have a little uh, saying that we do each week to kind of challenge us in the Word of God. It goes something like this. I'm a child of God. And I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. And then here's our prayer. Lord Jesus today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five to your neighbor there close to you, okay? Of those Bibles you held up, would you open them to Ephesians chapter 3? It is time for Christians... To step up to the plate. Far too long, we have been promoted as weak, timid, fearful, and hopeless. It is an identity that we don't deserve and we sure don't have because we've been transformed into the likeness of Christ. There is not a thing called pansy Christian. Many have confused meekness with weakness and they have persistently rejected the power of God out of fear and misunderstanding. And it just leaves a whiny mess of wimpy Christians who honestly believe that they're helpless. When you stand for Christ, you will be attacked. When you stand for Christ, you will be persecuted. If you don't believe me, read Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Jesus goes over and over and over about how blessed you are when this happens. You will be attacked. You will be persecuted. So get ready. He said, well, I'm not sure I want to sign on to do that. Then get out. Then get out. Just leave God and don't mess with it. But don't expect heaven either. Don't expect to get all the blessings of God if you're not going to stand up and be counted for. Why should you have? Why should you be blessed if you're going to walk away and not do what He's called you and commanded you to do? You see, we are our whole identity sometimes as Christians is summed up with the "I can'ts." I can't share my faith with others. I can't give ten percent of my income. I can't devote my time and my schedule for prayer. I can't understand the scriptures. I can't find time to serve. I can't reconcile with my spouse. I can't stop yelling at my children. I can't control myself. I can't stop sinning. Lies, all lies. It's not I can't, but better, I won't. That's what we're saying when we say I can't. We must confess the reality and stop playing 
and pretending that we are alive in the abundant life that Christ has given us when we don't really carry it out. Do you seriously think that Jesus came and died on the cross so that you and I could then say, I can't? <laughs> think about it. Think about what we've learned so far in the book of Ephesians. We're loved. We're chosen. We're saved. We're saved by God, from God, and for God. And if we're truly saved for God, then doesn't it make sense that He would also give us the power to accomplish His will on earth? Can I get an amen? <clears throat> oh, we're far from powerless. We have the fullness of God dwelling in us. We are temples and vessels of the Holy Spirit. The power is present. The unleashing of that power, however, is not present at times. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be unleashed in us. We need to allow God's Spirit to flow through us to be a blessing and a ministry and a giftingness to other people. And He'll do it. He's never called us for our ability. He's called us for our availability. So how available are you? Because if you tell Him you're available, guess what? He's going to come knocking on your door. He's going to come looking for that availability. He said, well, preacher, about all I can give you is Sunday morning for an hour and a half there at church. That's it. Then all you're going to get in heaven is about an hour and a half. Ooh, that doesn't sound good, does it? If we don't have time for God now, how are we going to have time for eternity with Him? Well, I won't have all the pressures of life on me when I'm in heaven. <laughs> if you don't know how to praise Him now, you're going to have a hard time praising Him up there. If you don't know how to serve Him here, you're going to have a hard time serving Him up there. I know we're all busy. I know we're all too busy. But God has given us everything we need to accomplish His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We read earlier 2 Peter 1.3. Let's, let's do it again. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We just have to accept that fact. The fact that we are powerful beyond our wildest dreams. And there's really no excuses for apathetic living, sin acceptance, and uncontrolled actions because we are powerful. When Christ's church gets that, revival's going to break out. I, I want revival, don't you? I really do want revival. But it, it's never going to happen until the church humbles itself and prays and seeks His face and turns from its wicked ways. And that in that passage in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it doesn't talk about when all the world does that. He said, when my people who are called by my name, he classifies who needs to come in repentance. So if he knew it in 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, I'll bet you he knows about it today. Boy, I see a powerful church. Living in victory. I see Christians who are no longer victims. I see a body of believers that refuse to get offended by everything that comes their way. I mean, seriously, we get offended by everything. I'm offended. Somebody, somebody cussed one day. And they said, pardon my French. 
Well, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I, and I usually am not this quick to respond because I, I don't think that fast. But the Holy Spirit must have gave me the words because when the guy said, pardon my French, I said, whoa, a miracle just happened. I did just like that. And he goes, what, 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 what? I said, man, I don't know French and I understood everything you said. <laughs> because, you know, why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up instead of just taking it? If somebody's telling an off-color joke and you don't really like it, tell them. Say, man, that, you don't, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you don't need to be talking like that. You don't, why? Why can't we do that? I mean, if the Muslims, if we make fun of the Muslims and they, they threaten to kill you, everybody backs up. Whoa, 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 whoa. According to the Bible, to die is gain. I mean, did, you remember how the Muslims got all whipped into a frenzy about those cartoons that they made in, was it, Denmark? Year, several years ago, I think one of the funniest ones I saw in that whole in that whole listing was the one where Muhammad is standing at the pearly gates. It says pearly gates. He's standing there, and all these off into the distance is these burned, charred people walking up. These suicide bombers, right? And he's going, whoa, 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 whoa! We're out of virgins. <laughs> now, you know that's funny. Now, come on, because they're promised seventy-two of them when they get there. Must have run out. But you see, we're powerful. Can you say that out loud? I am powerful. I'll oh, say it with conviction. I'm powerful. There you go. Now let's let's get into Ephesians 3. We're going to look in verses 7 through 21. Hope you have your Bibles open there because I want you to see these in your book. Um, I used to put them all up there on the screen. Uh, John skipped that little section that's in the uh, on the on the outline. Uh, as we go through these, we're going to go through them a few verses at a time. But uh, it's important that you take your Bible home after we've preached out of that section because if you read it up here, then you may not remember it from your book, okay? So I want you to take it home in your Bible and have it there. And, and I know and I trust that you're doing that. Let's take a look. Let's turn to verse 7 through verse 9. And we're going to find out this truth, that you and I have power to serve. Let's, let's look. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. What mystery was that? It was salvation through Christ. That's kept hidden until now and we need to understand that we you and i are called to serve called to serve women understand that concept of servanthood much better than men do but if a woman is going to learn how to be subservient to her husband who has to teach her her mother no her husband her husband, according to Ephesians 5, has to teach her how to be submissive. Hello. That's a whole new twist on the deal, isn't it? We'll see that in chapter 5 when we get over there. God's power is never given to, uh, to us to be used selfishly or for selfish gain. And I know. I know Christians who attempt to wield power and authority and manipulate and control others by the power that they believe they have in God. I mean, it's like being a Christian bully, isn't it? 
They bully you. And they, they bring fear to you. We don't need to fear. Because you and I have power. And the greatest power we have is to serve other people. They won't hurt you if you come to serve them. Amen? Well, preacher, they might shoot me and kill me dead on the spot. And you can have a direct access to God right there. Isn't that awesome? You go directly to the throne of God if you die for the cause of Christ. But Paul refers to himself as the servant of Christ in our, in our verses we just read. As one who serves people. God's power is not given so that some might live this arrogant prima donna life. I know some Christian leaders and I see them and they abuse their position. Matthew 20, Jesus says this, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Our theme, our vision, mission statement is right here on this banner. Seek and save the lost. Minister to those in need. And be a conscience in the community. So when something's not right in our community, we as a church need to stand up and talk about it. We need to stand up and say something. I occasionally will call or email the city. And I go right to the city manager. I don't waste time with anybody else. He lets me email him, so I do. And if there's a problem, a, a thing I sense in our community, I email him. I know he doesn't like my emails because I always send scripture with him because he says he's a Christian man. So if he's going to operate that way, then so am I. If he says he's an ungodly man, then I'll come at him. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, I always bring the word of God. But several years ago, I used to be very critical of our city. And so God challenged me to rather than be critical pray for them so for about six months to a year every month I wrote a letter to a different city council member to let them know if they had a friend across the street at River Oaks Church and I said you have a friend in this pastor and I want you to know that we're praying for you we're praying for God's wisdom in your life and every decision you make regarding our city and you know what what a blessing that was for me to do that why be negative be positive right you got a boss that you don't like? Pray for him. You know, put your hand around their neck. Pray for him. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> pray for him. Because you never know what will happen. You just never know. Because you've got the power living in you. But when you learn to serve and serve with gladness, God can do great things. The world says when you have power, others serve you. But God says His power is manifested, shown when we serve others. Every fourth Wednesday, we have opportunity to go to John 3.16 and work in the soup kitchen. And I'm sad because a lot of our kids that used to go don't, don't go anymore. So we're trying to raise a new group up and take them down. Uh, my son Jeff brings his youth group from Minola. Man, it's, it's, it's incredible because they're serving over 100 people every Wednesday. A hot meal. And it's, it's, it's incredible to watch. I was down there one time on a Wednesday when I didn't have teaching duties here. I, w I took the kids down. We were in between youth ministers. And I remember standing there as our kids were serving and helping and taking care of things and just kind of watching and watching the folks come in. And two young men walked up and said, hey, coach. And I thought, oh, mercy. <laughs> How would I know anybody down here? And these were two young men that graduated from Jinx High School that were now living on the streets. 
And one of them said, Coach, I'm so glad I graduated from John 3.16. And he didn't smell very good, but I hugged him anyway. we got to serve people, folks. We need to find ways that we can reach out into the lives of people. You go, oh, man, the economy. Preacher, I, I don't know if I can do that. Sure you can. I'm not asking you to spend money. I'm just asking you to spend some time and compassion in your heart. We should never have to ask more than one time for somebody to serve in the church. Can I get an amen there? Yeah, we shouldn't have to ask more than once. But it seems like we get on our knees and we bleed and we beg. <laughs> well, I don't want to be stuck back here. I, I love the uh, cartoon I saw years ago. A lady's rocking the kids in the nursery. And under the caption under her, uh, uh, the picture was, Well, I told B I'd relieve her to go to the bathroom. And that was 27 years ago. <laughs> so yeah, I understand. That happens sometimes. We kind of abuse the privilege of getting you to volunteer, but we try not to overuse that. But God is not asking us to suffer like Paul in these verses. He's saying serve with gladness. In Acts uh, thirteen thirty six, it says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried in his father's, uh, with his fathers, and his body decayed. You see, the bottom line is that once you have served and you pass away, then it's time to you can rest now. <laughs> Until then, serve. Find a way to serve. Our kitchen always needs to be cleaned. Our bathrooms always need to be cleaned. Carpet always needs to be cleaned. Hedges always need to be trimmed. Grass is growing out in the playground. Always needs to be pulled. There's something we can do for you. There's something you can serve. Amen? Come find it. Come find a way. Because we're all servants. And, and we need to start living like it. In John 13, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he looked at them. He said, have you... I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be what? Blessed if you do them. So you have the power to serve. So serve. Now let's, let's go on. Verses 10 and 11. We're going to find out that we have the power and we have it through the church. His intent was not that now, it was not, excuse me. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ray Steadman was one of my favorite authors, and he wrote a book entitled Body Life. Let me lift a piece out of there for you. This is awesome. The word church conjures up many widely differing images. To some, the church is nothing but a snooty religious country club with traditional rituals as sacred as those at a fox hunt. To others, the church is a political action group, a pressure block of do-gooders waging battle against social ills. Some see the church as a kind of non-segregated waiting room for people expecting to take the next bus to heaven. Some view it as a kind of low-calorie dessert for any who want something nice that won't hurt their public image. Others think of it as a regular meeting of religious hop heads enjoying their weekend religious jag. To many, the church is a kind of water boy to the game of life or a religious democracy trying to legislate morals to the rest of the world. Let us be perfectly honest and admit that the church has often been all of these things at many times and in many places. It has amply justified every bitter charge leveled against it. But nevertheless, despite its many weaknesses and its tragic sins, the church has been in every century since its inception the most powerful force for good on the face of the earth. It has been light in the midst of a darkness so dense it can be felt. It has been salt in a society retarding the spread of moral corruption and adding zest and flavor to human life. Isn't that powerful? For all of our faults, we're still standing on the Word of God. And we're not going to back down. Not at this church. 
not from this preacher. You got to remember, Jesus died for the church. Because who's the church? The building? The people. We are the church. We are the house of God. The church is the single most powerful organization in the world. It's the hope of the world. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's the body of Christ. I love the independent Christian church. We have a, a, a brochure in the back. right? Up, it says, uh, ever thought about who we are? And it's uh, uh, put out by Christian Standard. But the title of it is, what kind of church is this? If you're interested in who we are and why we are, pick this up. It's awesome. The independent Christian church is just that. It's independent. Our only rule of faith is this. Our marching orders come from here, not from some denominational headquarters somewhere. We are free of all denominational influence. We just get it right here. Now, we differ on what this might say, but the one thing that we do agree on is that we love each other. Can I get an amen? I hope you love me. Because <laughs> I'm throwing it down on you pretty good today. All right, so hang in there. No creed but Christ. No book but the Bible. That was a phrase that the Restoration Movement started back in the 1800s. There is power in the church. When the people get together, when God's church gets together, great things can happen. Great things can happen. When the body of Christ can pray. And I, boy, I got a lot of criticism a few years ago from a dear brother when I would say, you know, we need to be praying as a corporate body. He said, well, I pray on my own. Great. But I tell you what, when you can get the corporate body of people together praying for a specific thing, praying and fasting, you better watch out. You better watch out what might happen. But the problem is, you know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? It keeps crawling off the altar. <laughs> keeps crawling off the altar. But we're the body of Christ. We're the ones who reveal the mysteries of God to the world, our passage says. He chooses to use us and gives us the power to reveal Him to other people. You've been given the power to reveal and you're needed within the body. Skevington Wood said this, Through the mirror of the church, the angels of heaven see the glory of God. Woo! So the angels are watching. Who are they watching? us they're watching us to see what's going on when we do not exercise this power that's in us something's missing in the church i was talking to a lady just yesterday mad boy she was upset i mean angry angry upset well i tell you you have to hold you know, the kind that you have to hold the phone away from your ear how sad is that? That you get that person got so worked up, and really it's a small thing. But aren't they always the small things that we get so worked up about? It is. And it's really a small thing. Today's world of church shopping and church hopping has far more reaching consequences than just on that individual who rejects accountability and authority of the local church membership, it impacts the kingdom as a whole and the individuals in that kingdom who are given the charge to reveal. Let's move on to verse 12 and we're going to find out we have power to approach. 
In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom equals boldness, confidence, and openness. It's like a little child running to its dad, his or her dad. They do that. Kelsey, when I see Kelsey, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, I'll say, come here and give me a hug, like this. And boy, she comes running and just jumps in my chest, and it's awesome. So now I say to my boys, come here and give me a hug. And they just kind of look at you like, what? What? Well, my daughter-in-law's hugged me, though, because I know they're going to take care of me. Them boys, they don't care. They'll take care of their mama. They ain't going to take care of me. So I need my daughter-in-law. I love them. In fact, before you leave, you need to stop and see my office for what they gave me for my Father's Day. They, they decorated my office. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was awesome. My daughter-in-law made the curtains. So I was proud of them. Speak among yourself But you see, through the relationship we have with Christ, we gain access to the throne of grace. We can come boldly. We can take our request directly to Him. You don't have to, you don't have to wait for the preacher to be in the office. Take it to the, take it to the head man. Take it to Jesus. He's ready to hear you. In Matthew 7, and the reason most of us live beneath the privilege is because of what we don't believe in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks the door will be opened. Amen. James 4.2 You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, I will caution you here. Oh, be careful, little friend, what you ask for. Well, God... I need a new house. And I found one just down the road. God, God it's only $254,000. And the payment would be, gosh, awful much. But I'm asking. And I know that you love me and you're going to give it to me. Amen. God, I saw a boat the other day. I mean, God, this boat is inboard motors, got the little platform over the motor, so when you get ready to get out, you jump up on there and hop up in the boat. God, it's only $14 million. But I know, I'm asking, and you're going to give that to me. Oh, God, I really need a new car. And they've got great sales on right now. And I'm driving a clunker. I mean, it's only two years old, but it's a clunker now. God, I, I, I need that Escalade. Um, I, I really do. And God, I mean, God, it's, it's whew, they want $74,000 for this car. The payment's only $722 a month. Are, are you following me so far? Maybe our prayers are a little bit askew. Amen. <laughs> so you wonder why he's not answering that prayer. But when's the last time you prayed for the salvation of somebody that you love? Prayed so hard, prayed so long that you saw him come to the Lord. Thirty plus years I prayed for my oldest brother to find out at my mother's funeral that he had made a profession of faith in Christ. That's awesome. 
um, when I went to Dallas State Mark to fly to Scotland, I stopped by and had dinner with them. Just had a great visit. Great visit. When's the last time you went over and stood by the board and prayed for our two evangelists in India who are being beaten, being beaten for preaching Christ? When's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time you prayed for the church camp? Seven children baptized last week at 7th and 8th grade camp. Amen. When you can get to when you can get to seventh and eighth graders, when you can get to seventh and eighth graders with the gospel, you've done something good. But see, we can approach the throne of God in, in Hebrews four. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold faith firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Israel needed a king and needed deliverance, so Esther married the king. Daniel needed deliverance from the lion's den. David, when he went out to fight the giant, little shepherd boy, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed to be delivered from the fiery furnace. Moses, he couldn't talk, he stuttered, didn't know what to say, but he delivered the children of Israel from the hands of Pharaoh. They had the power to approach because the Spirit of the living God had rested on them. And that moves us to our next point in verses 13 through 17, where we're going to find out that we've got the power, and we've got the power living within us. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. These verses tell us that we've got power. In the book of Colossians, a sister book in chapter 1 verse 27 says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which, in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ dwelling in your heart, in your inner being. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. How do I know He lives? Because He's in my heart. He lives within my heart. When we need strength, we pray Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Marianne Williamson said this, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. We ask ourselves, Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? We were born to, be, to make manifest the glory of God and that is within us. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. Now let's jump on down to verses 18 and 19, where we find we have the power to understand. That we may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. <coughs> and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How can we measure the love of God? How do we get there? How do we know that God loves us the way He does? There is no excuse for spiritual ignorance. You must not tolerate any lack of discipline that prevents you from continually growing in your understanding of God. This is the power to understand. It's channeled through our ever-deepening relationship with Christ. And if we're to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is, we must develop our relationship with Him. And the more time we actively spend practicing the presence of God, 
the more we grasp that wonderful knowledge of how much he loves us. In Acts chapter 4, it tells the story of Peter and John, but it climaxes in verse 13 when it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had what? Been with Jesus. There's a story of the sinful woman in Luke 7. She was a prostitute. And when Jesus came to the house, he was invited by the Pharisees to have dinner. And when he showed up at the house, she was there. And nobody greeted him at the door. And the custom was to at least bring uh, water and wash the feet from traveling in the dusty roads. Showed hospitality. Nobody did that for Jesus. So she brought out an alabaster of oil because she recognized who he was. And she pours the oil on his feet and washes them and then dries it off or wipes it off with her hair. The disciples got mad and angry and upset. Of course, he then forgives her of her sins, and they were mad and angry. But look what Jesus said in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. <laughs> How much have you been forgiven? And if you've been forgiven a lot, you ought to love a lot. But what changed? What changed in these disciples? They were frightened cowards running from a blood-soaked corpse up on a high hill called Golgotha. They became champions of the gospel with great courage. What changed them? After the crucifixion, they scattered. Peter denied Jesus three times. Fifty days later, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And he preaches with such power and such anointing that 3,000 people got saved. And it wasn't this manby-pamby sermon. He stood up and he said it. You killed Jesus the Son of God. He told the people to repent and be baptized. He would heal and preach. And how did that happen? Here's, here, in one moment he's scared to death, and the next moment he's willing to be crucified upside down. How did that happen? James, but afterwards becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. He was the first to be executed by King Herod. What changed James? Some of the disciples were cut in half. They were beheaded. They were boiled in oil. They were crucified upside down. They were fed to lions. They were exiled and burned alive. They were falsely imprisoned. And I ask you, what changed these men? Did they give up their lives for the memory of a corpse on the side of a hill? I don't think so. The thing that changed these men from cowards to champions was the fact that they finally understood the magnitude of His love. They saw the resurrected Son of God. They ate with Him. They touched Him. They talked with Him. They knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that He had resurrected from the dead. It was the power of the resurrection. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living where? Within you. And when that occurs, it brings us to our final point, verses 20 and 21. We are the power. Look what it says. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is work where? Within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Resurrection power. Philippians 3 says it this way, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering and of sharing in his sufferings because and becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This word, Greek word is gnosko. And it means I want to know Christ. I want to know him deeply. I want to know him in every way and I want to experience him. He wanted to use a word that expressed the true essence 
of how he felt about Christ. He wanted to know the heartbeat of God. He wanted Jesus pounding in his chest. He wanted to know him on a more personal level. He said, I want to know Christ powerfully. I want to know Christ in the power of the resurrection. Power, that incredible power that raised the Lord Jesus from the grave. That power. The apostle said, I, I, I want that kind of power. I want it in my life. I want to know. I want to have that kind of power. Power over Satan. Power over circumstances. Power over temptation. Power over ourselves. Power over the world. And yes, even power over the grave. Paul wanted that power. And you and I ought to be shouting that we want that power. And I want someone to rescue me from my old way of life. And I want to turn every day into a resurrection morning. Amen. And amen. And we are given power to bring glory to the name of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are diligently and must diligently remove any veil that clouds the view of Jesus shining out of us into this dark world. We are powerful to glorify God. And it's our lives. We've got to bring that glory. We've got to show that glory. And we've got the power to overcome. Power to live in victory. Power to stand secure. Let's read together those last two verses. Now to Him who is able, read with me, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that's work at work within us. To Him be what? Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Oh, next week we're going to talk about the body and the unity that the body can bring and what happens when that body comes together. Father, we ask You, as we pray this morning, we ask You, plead with You. God, there's people in this room that need to surrender. I'll guarantee You, Father, there's somebody sitting in this room that's running so far away from You, they don't even know where they're going. So God, I'm asking You to do a mighty work in them. God, I'm asking You to touch them and to reassure them of Your presence. God, there's somebody else sitting in this room I know is carrying a burden, a burden bigger than themselves, a burden that they don't think they can overcome, a burden that, they, that is just loading them down. You said your yoke is easy. And the yoke has you pulling one side and you just want us to slip our neck in the other side and we'll pull together. So God would, in their moment of hopelessness, understand that there is great hope in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, there's another person sitting in this room it just needs to reconcile with somebody. They've been upset, mad, angry. It may be a family member. It may be a friend. It may be a co-worker. It may be a boss. It may be themselves. God, would they quit beating themselves up and surrender to you? God, would they take that relationship that needs healing and bring it to you? God, there may be somebody here that wants to join this church and say, man, I want this church to be my home church. They're baptized believers, been immersed in Christ. They're ready to roll up their sleeves and say, this is my home and I'm ready to go to work. And then, God, there's that group of people that don't even know you as their Savior yet. And I'm sure there's somebody sitting in this room that's in that position. Would you give them courage? Those that know you, have drifted, bring them back. Bring them back, Lord. 
we are power. Not because of us, but because of you in us. There's a decision to be made. May it be made, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand.